Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Blaine. And today is actually an interesting episode. We've got a really great topic, but to start us off, this is actually my last episode before I go on maternity leave. Um, I'm really excited to be bringing this new human into the world. And with that comes a lot of changes. That being said, I'll be back beginning of September. The show will sound a little bit different over the next few months, but you are in very good hands with Mike and the special guests that we have coming. And so with that, I'd love to transition into our episode today and a very timely topic. So Mike, take us away. Thanks, Lisa. And just before we get into the topic, I just want to wish you the very best. I think it is such an exciting time in your life. I do not have kids yet. One day, perhaps I will, but I can only imagine because of that, uh, what it's like for you right now. And I'm just super excited for what's to come. And I look forward to having you back for sure. And I know that our listeners will too, when that time is, is right. So with that all being said, let's get into today's topic. It's called stepping in, stepping up and stepping back in your career with our guest, Meg Applegate. Meg, forever a girl's girl, traded her childhood BFF necklaces for Greek letters in college. She's worked full-time, part-time, and stayed at home with kids, understanding the challenge and reward of holding a career and family in tandem and in tension. While her professional journey has been anything but straight, now as a certified professional resume writer and personal branding strategist, she connects high-achieving women to career advancement. Named a 2020 National Resume Writer Association ROAR Award winner. I like that. That sounds exciting. Her work has also been featured in Forbes Women, Fairy God Boss, and recent editions of Expert Resumes and LinkedIn Profiles for Managers and Executives and Resumes for Dummies. An enthusiast of antiques and old homes, she is driven by her faith, family, dark chocolate, and her morning cup of coffee. Meg joins us from Indianapolis. Meg Applegate. Welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Congratulations, Lisa, again. Thank you. And we're so excited to have you here for sure. Me too. You kind of hinted at this a little bit, Meg. Can you dive into your backstory? Not necessarily a straight line. What else should our listeners know about you? Yeah, I actually started in the nonprofit sector in fundraising and events. And I quickly learned that I don't like to work nights or weekends. So I quickly pivoted to higher education. And in that pivot, I needed to earn a graduate degree. So in my first semester in graduate school, one of the electives was career counseling. So just by chance, I decided to take it and I fell hard. I really loved the topic. I love the space. And I thought, you know, one day I'm going to open my own shingle doing something in career coaching. So fast forward. I have, I've just had my third child and kind of all the cards in our life were thrown up as we knew it. So my husband had just started kind of a very new and different job. We obviously had three kids, four and under, and then we lost our in-home daycare provider. So everything that we knew kind of was out the window. So like many people, you know, in the COVID time, we're making these critical decisions because of things outside of our control, essentially are kind of throwing us in a tailspin. So I really had to think, and we really had to come together and think, okay, what do we value? How, how do we want to move forward? I decided that, or we decided that I would stay home for a year. So in that year, 
when I was changing diapers, mopping the floor, I'm dreaming up what is now Hinge Resume Collaborative. So a resume writing service that opens doors for high achieving women. So that's how I got here in a short little nutshell. That's so cool. Yeah. I feel like that just sort of dovetails perfectly with this episode. Thematically, it just seems like it's bang on. Kind of at the core of our conversation is the idea that there are different kinds of career transitions. Not all transitions are about maybe what some people might think of as traditional advancement, quote unquote. And can you talk a little bit about the different kinds of career transitions you've helped people with? Yeah. So primarily I work with women, but I work with both men and women. So part of that is, you know, leveling up your career, right? So moving into leadership or getting that salary, but some of it also is doing an industry or job pivot, or it's stepping back in the workforce after taking a break, particularly it's usually raising kids, but you know, taking care of elderly parents or having a health issue, whatever it is, those are really the three common areas as far as transitions that I work with. And do you find that women tend to undertake these kinds of shifts more so than men? So I would say for the career break, yes, definitely women. And I think that the numbers and the data would back that up. I mean, pre-COVID, at least in the United States, the census data would say, you know, when a woman has a baby, her workforce participation would dip, but then it would stabilize. And then with more kids, the workforce participation is going to decline. And now with COVID, right, obviously we're having other things at play, a public health crisis, but industries being decimated where a lot of women were working, hospitality, retail, but then we also have all kids at home. So whether it's childcare or schooling, right, it's really putting a magnifying glass on what's been really right at the surface, I think, of what's been going on where women are kind of the director of operations at their home. They're the people leaders. They're kind of the orchestrator of all the details, right? Kind of that mental list of who needs to be dropped at soccer and when the groceries need to arrive or be shopped for. So I think that, you know, COVID has really put a a magnifying glass on what already has been happening. But I think there is a bright light too. Like we're seeing that LinkedIn, for example, is creating designations for stay-at-home parents within the work section or, Hey Mama is an or a return to work organization, and they're kind of touting like put mom on your resume, right? That you can hone skills and develop skills through unpaid work. And I think that since we've been in all of this together, I think everyone is seeing, right? When you are doing work unpaid, when you're when you're a mom, that you are really honing in on listening and empathy and leadership skills that are needed in the workplace and can be developed outside of paid work. So I think that is a bright spot of what's coming out of COVID in addition to flexible work options that are happening. Yeah. And it's often seen as sort of a challenging time when people have to deal with some of these unexpected changes in life. But you also talked about transitions where people are up-leveling their careers as well. What are some of the risks and benefits that people see when they're undertaking a career transition? Yeah, so I think some of the benefits, whether you're choosing 
choosing it, like a break. Some people don't choose to get laid off where the company is merging when the, you know, the company's restructuring, right? You're not choosing that. Um, I think some benefits of taking essentially a career break is that recalibration and figuring out your values of whether it was forced upon you or you're making that choice. I know when I made the choice to stay home with my kids, honestly, I had a little bit of an identity crisis, right? It's like I, a lot of my identity was attached to who I was at work. And so when the email isn't getting full and people aren't kind of patting me on the back of Meg, thanks so much for doing that. You know, my kids love me, but they're also giving me negative performance reviews, you know? (laughs) So, you know, when you're not having that, you know, then it's like, well, who am I apart from work? Right. So I think automatically there is some kind of identity work as well as values. And then thinking about whether if it's, you're kind of going forward and what you're already doing or a pivot of that, you know, going after what you're curious about or learning a new skill, for example. Um, some of the costs though, would be potentially pay, right? If you're taking a step back out of paid work, or if you're pivoting in an industry that, um, you may have to take something lower than you were used to essentially. Um, another cost could be, you know, like the, the process of re-entry as far as a break Mm -hmm. or the process of pivoting, it might take a little bit, um, more time to do that. And I think another challenge that people face, especially in a pivot, is kind of framing their skills and experiences in a way for their new target audience, which is their the new industry, the new position, speaking their language. I know recently I worked with a return to work mom, right? And she basically implemented training software like on a floppy disk that now exists as like a cloud-based software. You know, so it's like we need to you know, think through how we're going to do this and package not only your work history, but also what you've been doing during your unpaid time and that it is valuable, that it's not, you know, a deal breaker if you're taking time off of unpaid work, that it's actually going to enhance and also could advantage you and position you well for your next role. I love that. And I love that you brought up two people who might go through an unexpected layoff or restructuring in the company, because I think that the part that you were talking about with identity can be so tied and so challenging for a lot of people that really bringing that to the forefront can help people to understand what that next step might include in terms of not just looking for another job, but also doing some inner work that will help you in the longer term. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I made the choice. I wasn't even laid off. And if, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I'm having an identity crisis, surely other people are, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that we can misplace in my opinion, at least our identity, even if like you're a stay at home mom, you can kind of misplace your identity in that. And then when your kids go to college and you become an empty nester, it's like, wait, who am I without them? Right. So it's kind of like we're uniquely made and wired with different skills and a purpose, but our assignments are changing. So I think that's really gets to the seasonality of our career because who we are changes. I'm not the same person that I was in my twenties that I am now, and I don't value the same things. And so it makes sense that then our career would have that same kind of seasonality as well. You, your story has reminded me of something that, um, 
a close family friend of mine, she's a woman who's had a, in many sort of objective North American ways, sort of a really successful quote unquote career. And she once said to me that I don't really see how it would have been possible for me to continue my, to have my family. Cause I stepped away for quite a while to raise my kids and she got back in the game and, and her career took off once again to like stratospheric levels. Um, but for her, it was really about consciously shifting that gear and knowing that between kind of having your career, having your family and having the other things you could be doing in your life for her, it was a little bit of a bind. Do you feel like that resonates or does that kind of pan out for some of the people that you work with? In my opinion, which could be, you know, debated, I don't think that you can have it all, all at one time. Like mm. if you're at work, I mean, that's kind of what your boundaries are. If you're at work, you're not at home. If you're at home, you're not at work. So you have to choose. There's no wrong answer. Like, you know, if you're a CEO, that's awesome. And you can then apply your skills in that way. And that's your value of being there. Stay at home moms are saying, I'm going to place my skills here and effort here. Both moms, both staying home, working part-time, doing it full-time. It's all hard. I mean, there's no there's kind of like these wars that women have of like, well, we have it harder and no, we have it hard. And it's like, it's all, it's all really difficult. So, you know, I think that it's a, it's, it's based on your value system. It's also based, I think on your family and your partnership, you know, how I think it's really important if you have a spouse or a partner that you're both bought into the same vision. I think that kind of conflict can be created when maybe one person has a different idea than the other. Um, and so kind of take that as a unified front. Um, but I do think that, you know, just by the very nature that we are not omnipresent, you know, mm -hmm. there, you're going to miss something somewhere. It's just kind of how I see it. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're human. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Going back to the reality of someone who feels like it's maybe time to get back into the workforce what is the conversation potentially looking like in their head, how that shows up for them? Yeah. So I think because I'm not a career coach, I do a lot of referring saying to do that inner work of, cause I think when you stay at home, it's really important that, that you're kind of tuned into who you are. Right. So after kind of my identity crisis, I still need to be fulfilled in the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So kind of finding what that is. So obviously taking care of humans is a huge part of that, but there's also other parts that I want to apply my skills just by the nature of feeling fulfilled. So, um, and I know we'll talk about that, um, like in unpaid ways. So I'm kind of moving them towards a career coach to kind of sift through all of that, right. Of like, who am I, what do I need? How do I want to then, and my values, how do I want to move that to paid work? And then after they figure that out, like the what and the where, like the what of the job or jobs that they're interested in, as well as the where of like location or format of work or what have you, that's when we kind of get together and we're really distilling down, okay, based on your career history and the skills you've developed now, are there any gaps? Surely a career coach is going to talk about that, but we do talk about where are the gaps in your skills? What kind of research do you have to do? Because first you have to know if there's gaps. So doing the research, whether it's on the World Wide Web or it's talking to people, preferably both. And then we're positioning you towards then 
where you want to go and using your career break in a way that's advantageous to that employer. Because as you both know, the resume is a marketing tool. So you have to speak to the person that's reading it. And so we want to make them really drool worthy that, oh, based on their unique experiences and their skills, like I have to have them. And so that's the work that we do. It's really that positioning piece that I'm working with women on. Cool. I like that term drool worthy marketing. That's, that's going to stay forever. No doubt. (laughs) I know we've talked a little bit about some of the different kinds of transitions. Are there any other particular challenges that you think people might face as they're making a transition, whether it be a step back into the workforce, making a decision to come away from work, paid work, I'll preface that. Or if they say to themselves, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this level of my career. I'm ready to be a senior leader or something like that. What are some of the barriers that, that they may face? Yeah, I think particularly for women, especially I work with high achieving women. So that mastery mindset can really hold us back. And so a lot of people that I work with are what we call like recovering perfectionists. Like we want to be in control and we want to know everything to feel really good about it. Right. So when you are doing an industry pivot and you've been doing the work and have the skills basically outside of the location that you want to be in for whatever reason, that is a really, a big sticking point, right. Um, of, you know, I don't have that exact role mastered. So I don't know if I can pursue it or if you are looking for a promotion, oh, I need to master my job first. And then people will recognize that I have mastered my job and then automatically promote. It's kind of like school, right? Like you're promoted to like fourth grade to fifth grade because you've achieved the A or whatever. It just, it doesn't work like that, where you have to really show that you have higher level capability of contributing at that level and having those relationships rather than like having the, the perfect excellence of your job. I think the mastery mindset can really get people in that. I'd never thought of it that way. That makes total sense. And that the skills that uh, made you great at something aren't necessarily going to be what gets you hired for the next big thing. But I'd never really thought that maybe someone getting so dialed in on the mastery that they've been developing on their, in their one role now could be such a hindrance. I love that perspective. Yeah. And I think too, like you've heard that stat of, you know, men meet, meet 60% of the job ad women feel like they have to meet a hundred. It kind of fits with that, you know, stat of like, oh, I have to be every little tiny criteria. I mean, even in one of the groups that I ran, it was like, well, I've led teams, but not the exact number of, you know, people of teams. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, oh no, no, it doesn't matter. Like, how would you scale up your leadership? If you did lead that type of team, it's like, even that nitty gritty of like, oh, I haven't led that exact number. Therefore I'm not qualified. And so it kind of leads to that like imposter syndrome. I I've had success in this different area, but I don't know if I could deliver it again in say another location. And I don't want to be found out if I'm a fraud, you know, a fraud essentially, or that, you know, having the lack of confidence of like, I don't want to go there. That seems a little too risky, too scary. And I'm very risk adverse. So I understand that, right? It's like, I don't even like to ride roller coasters. You know, it's just like being scared for fun. I'm totally out. So it's like, I get like stepping out of your comfort zone is really scary. And so I think it's really important to have people around you to kind of speak into the truth of your skills 
and, you know, and, and knowing your wins, like if you don't, if you don't know where you've won, then it's hard to be like, okay, this has been true. The data says this, then it could be true here too. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So I'm personally in the midst of this kind of transition of going, taking a step back and then looking ahead to when I will be coming back into the workforce and not a huge amount of time, but in a couple of months. And I, I already have fears about forgetting things that I've gained up to this point or, you know, changing as a human being. So just sort of thinking about that, is there anything that people can do ahead of time to prepare themselves for that? Cause it sounds like you had some great tips around how to sort of get some of that confidence and to think about some of the work that you've done in the past, but what are some other ways that you get people to think about some of their past experiences? Yeah. And you will change and it'll be a good thing, right? It's going to be a good thing that you change. Um, I would say first, I think gathering a community of people around you, even, you know, now I, research will show even with like executive women leaders that if you have a female centric kind of tight knit group, you land at a higher level. It's like two and a half times a higher level because you have that female, small, close knit group. I would say the same when taking a career break, because you'll need the community around you to encourage you. I remember like listening to a podcast and like mopping the floor and Oh, the, the podcast moderator is saying like, mom, I see you like doing the work and washing the dishes. And it's like, all of that work is so unseen. It's nice to have people around you to be like, and my husband is great, you know, encouraging me, but it's not like at work where you're getting these nice taps all the time. And your, your email box is full of, you know, kudos essentially, you know, having people around you to remind you of who you are and encouraging. So I think I think life is a group project, no matter where you are. And so having that group of people, you're not meant to do this alone, work, raise humans, you know, we need people. Um, I also think too, no matter where you are, just blooming where you're planted. So, you know, you're going to be raising a tiny human, like just be where your feet are. I think it's okay to be present. And when you're on a career break, for example, too, like when you're thinking about, I think, well, first, I think we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We see an Instagram, like stay at home, but like run a blog that has a million followers or like start a global nonprofit and change the world. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's okay to just like hold your baby and, and rock them and not feel like you have to have this global impact. I think, you know, having an impact on another human is enough you know? And so mm-hmm. I think also in a career break, when you're thinking about being where your feet are, it's like when you're thinking about how to be fulfilled or applying your skills or growing your skills, it's like my kids are at the soccer field. If I really liked teaching, well, coaching would be a great option for me to do that. Or they send email communication all the time. I could volunteer and say, Hey, I can do that email communication for you for free you know, or if you're always in your faith community or a nonprofit, you're already there, you know, see how your skills then apply in that area. But also, you know, what makes you curious? The great thing too, is like you are raising humans. It's a lot of work, but you also have some room to explore some outside interests as well that maybe you didn't have time to do also, you know, working, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Definitely. So it sounds like there's a big 
component of just embracing whatever comes and going with the flow, rolling with your curiosities, rolling with whatever and being present, like you had said, which yeah. is amazing. And I think it's okay. Like, I think it'd be, it's smart to have a loose plan. Like if you're taking a career break and I say loose, as we all know, right. Cause it's like, things happen that are very unexpected. So I think having a loose plan and talking about that, like if you have a spouse or a partner or what have you to, to be like, okay, I'm thinking like, I'm going to take, like, for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to take this year off, but I'm thinking that I want to start this business in a year or two. And what would that look like? And what do you think about that? You know, or I've had friends where the woman is the breadwinner and the dad stays at home with the kids, you know, and that, you know, they decide that together and the, the time frame of that. And now he's more working full time and she's now doing more consulting work. So, you know, I think that having that again, loose, like an open-handed plan of like, this is kind of what we're thinking. And then, you know, when it's time to then step back in, you kind of have a timeline because I think it does take time. You can't just be like tomorrow. I think I want to get a job. I mean, you could do that, but it, you know, it might not, work out or be the best fit, for example. So I think kind of giving you that ramp to kind of mm -hmm. move forward is a good idea, you know, based on all the things that we've talked about with kind of that internal work and figuring out where you want to go and leveling up your documents and that sort of thing. Yeah. So in talking about leveling up your documents, you, you mentioned the importance of marketing yourself for the next step. What are some of the key factors other than your documents that people think about? Yeah. So marketing yourself, obviously I'm really passionate about because that's what I do. So I think um, the resume process in particular is really important. And I, and I say the process because it's kind of all that work about how to articulate your value to the employer. So if you don't do the work of resume writing, even if you're partnering with a writer or a coach, for example, it's going to be really hard for you to connect the dots of your career story and do it well enough that an employer's like, oh, I get it. I get why you're applying, especially if you're pivoting or you're stepping, you know, you're stepping back in, but you're not going, you know, where you were, it's really important to be able to succinctly tell your story and give the why, and then kind of like, this is why you need me. So that process of figuring out who you are, knowing your career wins. I know I've had many, I do a strategy call with my clients. I've had many people at the end of the call being like, okay, I, I get it. I need to write down my wins. <laughs> I'm like, Yes, <laughs> you do. Because we're forgetful people. It's like, I can't even remember what I ate for lunch yesterday, let alone, you know, like quarterly sales goals that people meet, you know? So it's really important to, you know, create that Google doc separate from work, or if you're like a pen and paper person to create li the literal journal of, you know, looking back and seeing what your wins are, because you're going to have to articulate that going forward and frame it in a way that makes sense to where you want to go. I love that idea. Yeah. And I feel like the better your data keeping habits are, the more creative, the more content you have to be from which to be really creative when it comes to then crafting new messages and really kind of getting your hooks into people. Like I, while you were saying that, I was just thinking about like how in, in sports, like a lot of professional athletes, they've had people taking their stats for years and years and years and years. And at the end of the day, they have some career stat line that people often remember them by like 
uh, like Michael Jordan was a 30 points per game basketball player, you know, the, the best that ever played. And, you know, the art, the, the discussion can kind of stop there. People know at what level that person was at. And I think it sounds like people who are looking for jobs um, can create similar stories with data based off of this discovery process. Yeah. And I would say when I start writing a resume, I start with the work history. I want to, I want to figure out what the wins are because that's when you're zooming out and being saying like, what's the connective tissue of all this? Like, what am I seeing? What's the golden thread? Like even I've had, I had a, a sales client who kept saying like, I don't fit in, in sales. I've always had that rub. And you know, we were getting at, well, why do you feel that way? And it's like, Oh, well, actually the differentiator is actually like the secret sauce, right? Of like, oh, I think differently. I'm different because of X, Y, Z. That's the story we're going to tell, you know? And before it was kind of like a sense of like embarrassment, like, oh, I'm not like everybody. You know, I don't fit in here. It's like, oh no, actually that's your secret sauce. You know, you're good at your job and this is why. And so that's the story that we're going to tell. So I think the zoo, you have to zoom out of something. You have to see the meat of everything to then bring forward, you know, the story. Makes total sense. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the episode we did with Carrie Twig too on storytelling for your career and how important it is to bring, weave those stories in for so many reasons, but there's that, that big emotional connection too that people get when they're reading through your resume that you want them to be able, like you said, see and say, yes, I need this person. It's not just, this is all great how can I tell this story in a more concise and enticing way? Yeah. And I would say my favorite thing to write is the about section on LinkedIn. It's my absolute favorite because that's where it's kind of like having a networking coffee online where you're not really present, but it's like, you're weaving that personal and professional flavor of who you are. And you know, and really saying like, this is who I am. And you're making that human connection with the other person I mean, that's my absolute favorite because everyone is unique. So even if you have sales professionals back to back to back or project managers, you know, they're all doing their work differently. They all have had different experiences in their life, in their profession, they're making them different and then therefore advantageous to have wherever they want to go. And so speaking that language, that's my absolutely favorite part by far writing for my clients. I'm just curious to know when you see clients starting to tell brighter, more exciting stories about themselves and their careers, do you see that translate into a more confident job seeker, someone who just feels differently about the job searching process? Yeah, I've had many clients say the funniest things when I deliver their documents over email. Like one mm -hmm. woman was like, I can't wait to meet this person. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's you. <laughs> this is you or just like, wow, you're making me look so good. I'm like, well, it's because you look so good. Like, it's mm -hmm. not me. It's you, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of when someone else is looking at you and, and saying these things that are true, and then you're getting it kind of mirrored back at you. You're like, oh, really? You know, cause I think, especially for women, we downplay our accomplishments. It's like the polite thing to do apparently, or we don't believe them ourselves. And so then when these are unearthed and you're seeing them, it's like, oh, I, I am a very competitive candidate actually. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's surprising to people because 
I mean, even between my friends and I, you give like a friend, a woman friend, a compliment. And she's like, oh, oh, oh no. You know, it's just like, oh no, like, the answer is thank you. You know, yeah. thank you for saying that. Even I'm training my daughter, you know, like, oh, when someone gives you a compliment, you say, thank you. You don't make an excuse of like why that's not true. You just acknowledge it and then move on. Hmm. Love that. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference in the way that men and women might experience some of the transitions that we've been talking about today? I will say something interesting that I hear from my clients as far as like loyalty is concerned, Mm -hmm. because research will show that women value friendship in the workplace over men or relationships. And so a lot of women will say like, in terms of career advancement, like, well, I want to leave my job, but you know, my boss has been so good to me with X, Y, Z, or, you know, my team has been through so much. I couldn't possibly leave them now. Right. And so I think, I think loyalty is a great quality. I mean, I think for my spouse in particular, loyalty is really important to me. Right. But when it comes to a point of like, if it's coming out of like lack of confidence or, you know, you're afraid of moving forward or it's because you feel like you have to pay someone back for something, that's when, to me, that's a little concerning. You need to think about, okay, why, why am I staying here? You know, I, I think it's a good quality, but if it's coming from something that maybe isn't healthy, that's something, something to think through, especially if it's not serving your family, you, your finances, you know, if it's not serving you anymore, that's something you need to think about, especially because as we know, and during COVID-19, while, you know, your, your team may love you and your boss may love you. It it is unfortunately a business. And so people get let go and Mm -hmm. things are downsized. And as much as Mm -hmm. the company may say, we're a family, I mean, it is a business. And so that's where you need to kind of think through these different things on, I'm not saying always put yourself first, but you need to think through how is this serving me? Why, why do I feel this way? Kind of, kind of reflect more on that. I see this a lot with my clients too, in terms of how much notice they give. Hmm. I find that they feel really hesitant to give two weeks notice because they feel like they owe the company something more. And it's, it's quite interesting actually, because I worked with an executive a long time ago. He was, you know, the top of the organization that I was in and he was able to give two weeks notice and life carried on. The company continued. It wasn't like everything crumbled. And I, I often try to impart that on some of my female clients as well, because they're thinking, well, I'd like to give four weeks notice. And, you know, is a company going to accept that on the other end when you're making that kind of transition? And agree loyalty is so important but it is interesting how it shows up and how people can like you said think a little bit deeper about the reasons behind it yeah and i think that's interesting too right a company should at any point be ready for someone to exit so you know a good company would have some sort of succession planning or like the 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 machine should be moving along you know while we're all unique and we have something unique to offer. Unfortunately, we are replaceable, you know? So it's like there, things will keep moving. You know, it is hard when it's people for sure. But I, I do, I do think that's interesting based on your client too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So there are 
a few questions that we ask to all of our guests. And we like to start off with talking about fun because we think the fun is important in your career. So what would you say is the most fun you've had in your career so far? Well, there's a couple of things. I think that when I was in college, I was an ice cream and candy girl at a local grocery store in a beach town. So sweets with the beach is like <laughs> the, the best. best mix, right? So that was really fun. And then I would say transitioning into higher education, just being on a college campus for me. And I would say this about entrepreneurship too. It's like going to the airport. It's like anything is possible. Like you could go to Bermuda or you could go to Alaska. Like at a college campus, there's just so many options, so many ways to go. Even when I'm speaking with my clients about the possibilities, like they have all these skills. They're amazing professionals. I'm like, I just... I love a good brainstorm and the possibilities are to me are just super exciting. And so I just get really, it's jazzed, like an old school term, like a senior citizen. I just get jazzed about possibilities. I love the word jazzed. I use it all the time. <laughs> I feel like a grandma or something. I just get jazzed. We're old That's souls. Awesome. It's okay. Young at heart, but old souls. Yes. <laughs> all right. The next question is around risk, because we feel like there is some level of risk in a lot of career decisions, but what would you say the biggest risk that you've taken in your career is, and how did it turn out? Yeah, again, I would say probably two things. Probably the first one was letting go of my career. You know, I'm on the other side, and so I can see that I'm so thankful. I think that I'm on a better, more fitting track than I was, but that letting go part felt really risky, not knowing what that would turn into. And I would say too, just kind of the stay at home mom gig isn't my natural jive. So for me, that was a, a really difficult year. I love my kids. It was just a, a difficult year of kind of letting that go and, and, and doing that work. So that probably was a big risk for me. And then I will say too, when I, when I started Hinge Resume, I remember the first couple of times that I, I posted on social media I was just terrified. I mean, it's like one of those dreams where you feel like you're naked in the movie theater or like a stage or something, just, you know, putting yourself out there and with everyone to see, I just remember being like, I think I'm going to throw up. I don't, I don't, I don't feel good, you know, but the funny thing is, is that's what I love most. I love the marketing piece, the writing piece. You know, that's basically what I do for job seekers as I market them. And I do that for my business as well. And the funny thing is, is that that's the, the thing that I love most about what I do. So it's really interesting that the risk then has become the greatest kind of fulfillment factor, essentially. Hmm. And that's great too, that you can empathize with your clients when they are going through that stage of, it can be kind of scary to, can feel like a risk to put yourself out there like that. Definitely. But it turns out amazingly. Meg, what would you say is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Yeah, I would say um, it comes from my father-in-law, probably offhand. He probably doesn't even know that he's, he said it. To listen first. I remember when I was a young professional and I had a lot of opinions and I like to say my opinions. And he told me, you know, the older I get, the more I learn to listen first and close my mouth. And I remember just being like total eye roll, you know, at the time, <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm like, 
He's so right. And I remember listening to a podcast of a woman who was talking about wisdom and how I, I'm really struggle with interrupting. And so it's like giving that space. And she had written a post-it note for herself of like, be quiet or close your mouth or something. And she was like, people thought that I was really wise in these meetings. And little did they know that I was just a fool with a post-it note, you know? And so it's, to me, that has really stuck with me of that listen first mentality. Here, here. Meg, can you tell us where people can find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Yeah, so my... My website is hingeresume.com. I'm on LinkedIn on during the week. And then I also have, um, you can find me on Facebook at Hinge Resume Collaborative or on Instagram at Hinge Resume. Awesome. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time and for being with us. I think you've put out a lot of ideas for people who are going through these different kinds of transitions to think about so that they are more fulfilling. It sounds like at the end of the day. Thank you. It was an honor to be here. Awesome. Lisa, anything you want to add before we no, call I just, for you call it a few months, but <laughs> no, I just want to say thank you as well. You've definitely given me a lot to think about, and I know that it's going to help a lot of our listeners as well. So thank you. Thank awesome. you. I think we can call it a week at that for the career builders podcast. I'm Mike bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Our guest Meg Applegate hinge resume, check her out. Super LinkedIn content. I must say, We hope you are well, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Career Builders Podcast. Do you know someone who takes their career seriously and would appreciate the show? Why not share it with them? You'll help your friend with their career development while helping us spread the message of TCBP. On behalf of Lisa and myself, thanks for your support, and we'll catch you again next week.